Our meditation for this fifth Sunday in Lent is on our Old Testament reading, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of our Lord. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever had a friend who claimed that they were struggling with faith? I'm sure we've all met somebody like that. 
They have a hard time trusting God with, say, finances or romance, finding a wife or, well, keeping chastity with their girlfriend. Perhaps they have difficulty with the various challenges to the Christian religion that come from atheists, skeptics, and members of other religions. I'm sure you've had these talks with your friends. But how did you respond? Lord knows I have seen and I have met Lutherans who act in the snottiest cruelest, ugliest way in response to somebody saying, I am struggling with my faith. What do they say? They say, you fool. You're not struggling with your faith. You either have faith or you do not have faith. Don't you understand our monergism? That God gives this to you as a gift. All you have to do is accept it, and therefore your problem will go away. You do not need to quote-unquote struggle with your faith. You are merely being any number of sins. They take a brother who is struggling with something, a brother who is in pain, and they rub salt in the wound with the application of law. I think about these individuals every now and then, and I've come to the conclusion that they are concord-brained. What do I mean by concord-brained? Such an individual has a hard time understanding that there are doctrines that Scripture teaches that the confessions of the Lutheran Church do not speak about. They really don't. The Book of Concord absolutely is a correct interpretation of Holy Scripture. But it is not so thorough as to replace the Scriptures. The Book of Concord is not the Bible, nor is it divinely inspired. Not every single word it says is absolutely 100% accurate, as we see with the various issues that we have and have discussed to death from whether there are two sacraments or three, whether Mary truly is Semper Virgo, as the Book of Concord calls her more than once. There are issues there, but some of these Lutherans are so Concord-brained that they do not understand the faith. They might understand the finer points of basic Lutheran doctrine from here to high heaven, but they don't actually sit down and study what the Bible teaches. And there is no more egregious example in my mind than when somebody starts speaking about the binding of Isaac. Why? Because the Bible tells us what Abraham believed in Hebrews chapter 11. That Abraham had faith to understand that God can bring somebody back from the dead. So in trust, he raised the knife against his own son. And by the grace of God, it turned out to be a test that he had passed. But the Lutheran presumption that I have heard many times is that this was a matter of ease 
for Abraham. That we should look at Abraham as the not hero of faith. Not as one who exercised his true faith in our Lord in spite of the difficulties of doing so. No, rather this was a mechanical, robotic exercise of faith that he honestly probably didn't think very much about. Why, over those three days, as he walks to Moria, he was probably skipping around and prancing and cracking jokes like this was no big deal. I beg to differ. God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, Father Abraham, being the father of faith, had such belief in our God and such trust in him that he does it. That he does go out to Moria. He goes to the very hill where we understand our Lord Christ was crucified for us. And yes, he raises the knife. That is the power of his faith. To say God can bring this child back to life if he so should desire. He knew and believed the promises of God. Oh yes, I agree with this. It was not easy. It is 100% true that faith is a gift. It is also true that your flesh, your old Adam, which you are supposed to be drowning in your baptism every single day on account of its activities, constantly wars against the spirit. It does not want you to have faith. It attacks your faith, and it makes it difficult to exercise your faith. If we look at the first three commandments in the Decalogue, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, this is a commandment in its positive formulation for us to have positive faith and trust in God. The second commandment, you shall not take God's name in vain, tells us to have a right doctrine, a correct faith in the Lord, and that takes an acting upon faith to obey. The same goes for the third of the Ten Commandments, you shall sanctify the holy day, or you shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which we understand from the small catechism to mean we shall hear God's word with gladness and attention, attentiveness, that takes a positive exercise of one's faith. Faith is a gift, but oftentimes the exercise thereof is a work. Faith itself is not a work, but actively putting trust in our God and acting on behalf of that trust is absolutely a work, which our flesh will tempt us to defy. What Abraham did in taking his son up to the Mount of Moriah was hard. It was difficult. He must have imagined how terrible the moment would be when he saw blood spurting from his son's throat. He must have trembled in his hands as he bound his son on top of that pile of wood. 
This was absolutely difficult because everything in his flesh was telling him not to. The same way, the exact same way, whenever we are in temptation to rebel against God, when we're at our computer and we start getting that funny feeling that tells us we should go to websites that we know better than to visit, it is difficult to say, I believe in this true God of the Bible, and I understand that he hates sins of lust, therefore I shall not type those words into my browser. When we feel anger at somebody and we are ready to strike them in our wrath, our personal petty rage, we understand for a moment as we stay our hand and we fight and struggle against our own flesh. I believe in God. I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he says I am called to peace so long as I can help it. They have not struck me. They have only made me angry. I will stay my hand and I will walk away. I'll go scream into a pillow or something. I must not sin. It is that times 100. That times a 100,000% when you are told, go kill your son, whom you have spent the better part of 20, 25 years waiting for, trying for, every month a heartache, your family split apart because of the slave girl bearing Ishmael and your wife having the worst feelings of guilt and dispossession and bitterness over your son Ishmael. And finally, you get Isaac, and God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This was probably the hardest thing Abraham had ever done in his entire life. Do not tell me that this was a robotic, easy thing for him. If it was, then we don't need Jesus because Abraham was already perfect and sinless on our behalf. But he was a sinner like us. So like every other commandment we receive from God, and every other commandment that Abraham received, it was difficult. It was hard to respond to faith, to step out in faith, to act on behalf of the gift of salvific belief that God gives us, and to raise the knife. But he does. And the angel of the Lord stays his hand. Thank God the angel of the Lord, our Lord Christ in all likelihood, stays his hand and says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God says, I knew you would be faithful, but now I see it. I see it for myself, and this is good. A true, healthy, faithful fear of the Lord, confirming the gift that was given to him. Now, if this was just an easy, robotic thing, as I have heard 
Lutherans saying, then there would be no reward. Yet I read beyond what was in the lectionary. You may have noticed that. I read up to verse 19. Yes, the law, it always condemns. It always accuses. Yet in our exercise of the third use of the law, there is blessing and reward. After all, Hebrews chapter 11, wherein we find that Abraham believed in God's power of resurrection, also says that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Remember the central thesis of the law, do good to get good, and if you do bad, oh boy, is bad coming to you. We often forget that first part, do good to get good. Now, we understand from the book of Romans that everything we do without faith is sin. Indeed, but everything we do in faith, exercising the faith which God has granted us and seeking God's face through obedience to his commandments, he blesses and rewards. Maybe not always in this life, but he does reward it because God is personal. And there are rewards in heaven and on earth for those who do their best to serve and obey. And for the difficulty, the struggle which Father Abraham went through going to the Mount of Moria, what does our Lord say? By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The function of the law which rewards righteousness. Our God seeing that you care, that you love him, that you actively obey him, he indeed rewards that for Father Abraham. He blesses his socks off with millions and millions of descendants. He blesses his socks off by reconfirming the promise that our Lord Christ would come from the loins of Father Abraham. He blesses him beyond belief in all of this. And this is after God had already blessed Abraham with tons of cattle, with tons of servants, with an honorable name and a beautiful wife whose beauty was beyond compare. God had already blessed him, but in this act of obedience, for an extremely difficult thing to do, God says, yeah, you did it. I am going to bless you. So God is not mechanical, and nor is the faith which he gives us. It is completely supernatural, but it is also a facet of our life which we live in, that we act upon, that we engage with. And our friends who struggle in the faith, well, it's okay to say that their struggles are legitimate, and it is our job to help them bear their burdens and assist them in edification for that. Now, how do you do that? How do you help your friend who comes to you and says, I am struggling in the faith? Beloved, what does Abraham say to Isaac? Isaac says, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Father Abraham understood the gospel, maybe in a putative form, 
but he certainly understood that God would provide the sacrifice. And yes, on the Mount of Moriah, which now is right outside of Jerusalem, that's where our Lord was crucified. That is where the true Lamb of God was provided for all of us. And it is that trust in God's provision in his gospel that gave Abraham the strength he needed to do what he did. The same goes for us when we struggle in the faith. We must be reminded, not in our own power to overcome a struggle, but that God provides, that he is the one who animates us. It is Christ who has died for us and the reassurance of the gospel which soothes doubts which destroys sins, which gets rid of all that we have to go through, bearing down on our very souls. It is the gospel, Christ having died for sinners and risen for our justification, that enables us and empowers us to continue on, despite the difficulties and struggles we go through. So if your friend says, I'm struggling with the faith, I don't know what to do. Remind him of Christ. Remind him of the promises of God. Maybe he's a type that responds well to apologetics. And sure, you can get into some of these proofs. Or maybe he just needs advice if it comes to finances or something like that. But it should always return to the good news, which heals the wounds in our spirit which brings us back to the new life which our Lord has granted to us. You don't kill sin with commandments. You don't destroy struggle by forcing somebody into a bigger struggle session. You catch a lot more flies with honey than vinegar, they say. And for all of us, whether it's our friend that comes to us, or whether it is some struggle with doubt that we have personally, we look back on the provision of our Lord that Abraham looked forward to. And we say, by his grace, by the faith which he has given me, and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, then I will continue in a stronger, active faith. Now the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.